Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Kosofsky here today with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Oh, doing well, thank you. Okay, so this is our final show for TIFF 20. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about a bunch of films, a bunch of feature films, uh, you know, give you reviews and stuff. But first, we've got an interview with Charles Officer. You probably know him. I mean, he's, he's a great Canadian filmmaker. And his debut fiction feature, uh, Nurse Fighter Boy, was really the, you know, a film that propelled him into everyone's like into stardom into everybody's eyes it's, it was like a really bold debut uh and quite a wonderful film and uh, he's also known for documentaries um such as mighty jerome uh invisible essence the little prince is you know his latest documentary but also in between there uh he made you know the highly acclaimed films unarmed verses and the skin we're in otherwise you'll know him from uh, multiple television series he's been directing episodes of corner ransom thunder and private eyes so that's just a little bit about charles uh so the film it's called aquila's escape and it is a, a multifaceted multi-layered film uh brilliant you know, as as Charles does, he's, he's brilliant uh, in bringing a story to life in, in, like I said, in so many layers and in so many ways. There's so many things that's, that are going on um, that he just controls beautifully as he, you know, weaves things in and out. Um, so basically, it's a story of a routine drug deal that goes bad and, and Akila. He, um, you know, is the hardened sort of gangster guy uh, who has to set things right after it goes bad. And in order to do that, um, he's, he comes face to face with a young gang member who's kind of screwed the whole thing up or was part of that. Right. So he has to deal with this person. And, you know, is not supposed to end well for the young man. But for some reason, uh, Akila is struck by the young man and the young man reminds him of his own young self and his own traumatic origins. Um, so uh, one thing about the style is it's like, it's like a gangster noir, uh, but what Charles does is he infuses the film with his sensitivity. Um, he creates portraits of individuals in crisis and, and really gives us like a heartbreaking film about intergenerational trauma. Um, so it forces us to see uh, this vicious cycle um, and it forces us to realize more than, than ever, like it really brings this to light that sometimes people get entangled in these situations uh, and they're, they never should have, you know, it's just the circumstances that, that, dragged them into this um and anyway it, it'll break your heart so enough enough about me chatting so uh courtney and i did speak with director charles officer and here is our interview my first question is basically about the structure and how the film came to be the way that it is because uh, it's this rich experience and that comes from the fact 
you know, that you're referencing noir and gangster films and urban drama and social commentary. And there's so much going on. How did that come about. I think the origin, the genesis of all that was 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 really coming from questions. I mean there's there's a side of me that uh wants to you know inject um um meaning in, in genre um and 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 you know since there's this sort of you know world that uh black boys I experience is as the the sort of criminalization of black boys I was like well crime noir <laughs> it makes kind of sense to me like you know and we see ourselves so the cheeky part is like this is a crime noir and it's like noir is is black <laughs> um and um and but at the same time there's there's a deep history around the questions that i've been that have been on my mind or i'm or i struggle with around you know um the participation participation of political factions where in communities and in society and how that feeds and perpetuates, you know, criminal um, activity and how they're involved in it and, and how we, 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 we disconnect it, you know, um, from the matter of, uh, you know, in Jamaica, um, Gunja law and, and how that has actually affected people on that Island, um, how the criminalization of marijuana and, and how, you know, how many, how many lives in, in, in Canada and people have, have, have had their lives upturned over this healing plant, but then now we've legalized it. And, you know, the person who, uh, was very instrumental in incarcerating a lot of people is now leading that charge. It's like all these hypocrisies that actually um, affect society, and and who 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 are the beneficiaries of that, and 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 who are not, and and I often see that you know they're young black boys who are not the beneficiaries of this, and um, and speaking on that uh, around you know um, the connection to the shower posse and um, you know the idea of. Of, of, of some of a boy who's born into something that he doesn't belong in. Like he's, he doesn't belong there. It's like you have a child and you're trying to push them to be a tennis player, but they're naturally a basketball player. Like, you know, we do this as adults too, to our, our children. Um, but we're also reflecting on that, but that's a generational trauma that's being, this is what I know. This is what I've been taught. This is where the things I know how to survive. This is what I'm going to offer my child. And so the cycle of that, but when you grow and you've had that experience, like the Aquila character, when he's an older man, he, he understands his experiences. He understands that. And, 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 and so when he's faced with, a, with a, someone, a boy, it, something triggers for him. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in the structure of the film, in order to articulate that, there was a lot of writing. There was a lot of, you know, I wrote out the whole story of the boy and, and there was a period where 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 folks were like we should we just want to see this film you know and i'm like you know uh and then i fought with that and because i had this other storyline of this man it started with him as an older man then i wrote in the back story and then it was and where they intersected um in an earlier uh you know time of of developing it was i was also playing with structure cinematic structure where you know um it was actually the first act and a half that it was just about the little boy and then you just smash cut and now he's a man at 40 and it's just like it just kind of breaks the form that we're used to um the three-act structure and these sort of ideas of storytelling it's still cinematic language and how can you use that so i i you know I, but at the in the essence of it we had to get down to 
to the core of, of, of what those moments were that shaped this boy and, and, and visually render those. Um, so you're getting a sense of this man and this boy, which is not easy to do in, 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 um, in any way, shape or form, but it's like, you know, you need resources as well. And you have to, you know, reshape your ideas uh, to work with your budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, there initially I was I, in this draft, I was, there were scenes in Jamaica and I had to figure out a creative way how to tell this story um, um, without going there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's uh, so that was part of uh, uh, the creative process of finding that the, the language it's, it's um, and your resources, it, they have to line up and this is, you know, why I think creators should also be involved in producing their projects, you know, that's yeah. a really good point, yeah. And it's it's interesting that, you know, you're talking about um, these resources and lack of resources and things that forced you to do things a certain way. And yet, it's, it's so much of a Charles Officer film in that it's not just these styles and genres that are happening. It's, it's that we get to the core of the humanity of the characters. And that, that is something that... that you do so well. I mean, I do try to, you know, get to that because I think, you know, if we're, we are to understand motivations or things and we see people in sort of present forms and we don't really understand how they were as a child or what those, those situations were that shaped them. We've all had these experiences that, sh- that shape us, but somehow we enter film and these stories that it's like, you know, the, a person who's, who's brought into a world and, it's what he knows and finds a way to clandestinely work within it, but has some sort of principle um, to the way he rolls is, is, is something that I, 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 I like that. I really think that's an important thing. It's like, you know, um, you know, the, the, the Greek, you know, warrior of Achilles, you know, and what he kind of presented and, and the political war that I believe that he was involved in. Um, and, and so, um, Aquila is, 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 is that, you know, mythological samurai warrior character for me, um, that carries a code somehow deep inside. It's maybe not all scribbled out in a manifesto, but it's inside of him. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It was, a, it was, it was, I think that's also where folks were reading it early on. They, the intention of, of, of let's make it more action packed or let's go for the, let's, let's show more of the gun shoot. Let's, let's, let's show the more blood and let's show that. I'm like, there's, you can show enough and it should be enough. Like I, I, you know, the testosterone in filmmaking at times can really get away from that. And, and there's Saul naturally does have a real connection to feminine energy and masculine energy. And I want that character to have that. That to me is like, you know, that's a full, full human being, you know. It also brings an interesting aspect because the genre that you're playing in is a very male, usually cinematically male-driven, testosterone-heavy. But you have characters, both Akilah as a young boy, uh, older man, and um, Shepard, who... Are, are sensitive in many different ways. You know, as you said, they're, they're well-rounded characters. And I found that quite unique for, for this type of genre. And was it tough for you to, to write that while staying within the confines of what people expect from this type of genre? It's a great question. And absolutely, it was a challenge because 
there's this this play of like what you feel what what I was feeling emotionally and internally about what I want to do in these characters but and then there's this the world out there of, of receiving a film of what their expectations are and and um and and that was where you know it really was uh a battle to 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 kind of just really remember why and the intentions of, of what scenes were about and what I wanted to, the core of them, um, which also helps to articulate to the team and everyone how we're approaching something um, so that their suggestions will feed into that idea as well. So we stay on track. So, but it was, it, it is, um, even the dual casting, it was, it was a, a bold sort of choice to make, uh, wasn't that you don't know if it's going to work or not. Right. So, um, but the great thing is, is that the team that I was working with uh, and even the executives, they didn't hound me hard on that. And that was where I was like, when is someone going to like say, Hey, you know, Charles, we really don't know if this is going to play. I don't see it. Like, uh, I don't think you should do it. And that didn't come up. And I was like, okay, cool. So now I'm shooting it and I'm still like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, you know, and I don't know. But then again, it's just at some point you have to get out of your own way and and make a decision and follow and commit to it and follow it through. And and uh, and and whether people feel it or not, you know, you got to make a choice and and live with it. But it was a real contentious thing to think about of audience perception and where we as people of color, black people, are even placed in that genre will it be like oh what what's why this is foreign this is why were they we don't watch this kind of stuff you know it's blasphemy or something (laughs) um but it's uh but um yeah i think that we if we can live in comedy we can live in noir we can live in you know action we can live in adventure and we can live in animation um and so so yeah I just felt like it was time to try something. And as a, yeah. a quick follow-up to that, because you are playing in this space, uh, a space where usually black bodies are disposable in this, in this genre, you know, we, we tend to celebrate the Michael Corleones, but we don't really celebrate the average drug yes. dealer who might have a pass. When you're writing this film and you talked about the difficulty of charting it out, but when you're navigating trauma and generational trauma, you as an artist, how does that impact you? Like, was it, was it tough for you to kind of work through a lot of these issues and then have to work through them again as you filmed it? Yes, absolutely. It's um, the writing process. And I'll be honest with you is I was so relieved to um, um, at a point where I started working with motion and she came on board, but I, you know, I was working on the project for a while and it was, it takes a lot to go through those thoughts and those emotions and the questions. And um, so there's, I I call this film like it's my catharsis, you know, it is a bit of that. And in, 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 in what I mean by that as well is just all these emotions and feelings and, and um, you know, and not to impose them, but it's, it's, it is a bit of a releasing um, to, to actually invest your, your, your own personal energy into a story or something that means something to you and then release it. And, and I think that's part of my own sort of, uh, um, I guess it's, it's a process that gets to possible a sense of healing 
with these things and these questions that are internally inside and, and, and keeping me up at night, you know? Um, but it is, uh, it is a very, and then, and then when you're directing and then you're like asking other people to live through this. So I don't take it for granted, like with what, what I'm asking actors to do, where I'm asking them to go. And that's very critical in the casting that, you know, Saul is someone who, who can, understand this and internalize it but he's also an artist and has a process of how he can release it you know with Tamela we had made sure we had people around for him uh, as well just anything that would that he needed um for everybody actually you know um I I'm not a fan I'm anti-gun I'm a, a human being literally and 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 I'm saying that honestly I'm some people love them some people don't I just happen to be one of those who don't I don't think they're necessary on this planet. Now, um, now having to do that, even how I want to film that and show that, that's something that I'm watching people play out for real. And, and that, and, but you gotta be like, oh, watching it for this detail and that thing, you gotta separate the, those things um, so you can do the job and be there for those who are doing it. So it's a it's an interesting place of because uh, I've been sitting with it for longer, so I was able to deal with some of the traumatic things that were coming up before I got into working with others. But but there is a it, it is a release to at least say okay something that's been on my mind my body for a while <laughs> here it is you know. Thank you so much, Charles. We've run out of time. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you both taking the time and, and watching. I don't take that for granted either. So thank you. Well, thank you. Well, let's talk more another time. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love talking to you. So take care. Enjoy this process. In thank this you. Process. Yes. All the best. Okay. Thank you so much, Corey. Thank you. Okay. So that was Charles officer, director of Aquila's escape. Um, you know, like I mentioned in, in the introduction, uh, I think Courtney and I very much recommend this film. And as you hear, yeah. Sorry, Courtney, go ahead. No, I was saying that's right. That's a great film. Okay. Um, okay, so let's hop into, you know, uh, one of the, the hot titles at TIFF, um, you know, for, for an amazing reason. It's also uh, worldwide a hot title um, because it just won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. And it is Nomad Land from Chloe Zhao starring Francis McDormand, the amazing Francis McDormand. And uh, what a pairing, you know, these two. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's, it's a really heart, I keep using heartfelt already, <laughs> repeating my words, but it's, it's quite the, the vivid portrait of, you know, a shattered kind of America um, and, and how people, you know, are trying to help each other and come together. And, and Frances McDormand, she, she is the very embodiment of this nomad who's sort of lost in a way in this, in this world and, and not quite, not quite realizing what's happening, you know, until, you know, a bunch of people help her. Um, but it's very much also a portrait of someone who is facing up to her realities, her past. Um, yeah, it, in a lot of ways, by, by the time you get to the end of the film, there's this sort of healing uh, element, this sort of acceptance. Um, it, it, anyway, uh, I think I'll, I'll, we'll talk more about it when it, when it comes out um, because it, 
it definitely warrants multiple viewings. And I think it's the type of film that people will get a lot out of. Oh, that's, that's very good to hear. I know it's been getting rave reviews so far. So I'm looking yeah, forward to that for, one. Yeah, for good reason. So do you want to talk about another female-led film that you had watched? Uh, it was a violation, I think you saw. Oh my goodness. Okay. There, to, to get, go back into the Canadian cinema, you know, I think it's a very strong year for women filmmakers. It's, uh, uh, their visions are, you know, incredibly bold and the statements they're making are all of them very timely and very necessary. And Violation is the debut feature from writer, producer, directors, Madeline Sims, Fewer, and Dusty Mancinelli. Um, and it is, you know, a Midnight Madness film. So it's basically a revenge story. Um, in this case, it's a woman who seeks revenge. And I don't know all the, the tropes, you know, I am not a horror aficionado. I don't know all the tropes that go into the revenge film, um, but I do have to say, that this this film is so very well made um and in terms of you know what what i view as certain revenge tropes and and horror tropes are definitely uh like they're not only done really well in this film but they are sort of like pushed into the foreground so that you're actually questioning and the film is making you question things like you know the level of violence that you expect from a revenge film right because what else what's what else is supposed to happen in a revenge film revenge and revenge is violent right so just to um to tell you other things about the film like i love it, it plays with the timeline a lot so things you see things and then you see the motivation behind what just happened and you know there's some shocking things going on and so that playing with the timeline not only is it like really good in terms of the thrilling aspect of the film but it's it's really quite stunning in the way that it opens up motivations uh in the way that it opens up characters and relationships you know so that it, there's something uh, quite interesting happening underneath the film you know it's it's not just a revenge um and stylistically there's like sometimes at the beginning there were some some things that were happening that i thought were okay that's pretty obvious you know heightening the sound on a on a seemingly harmless little scene right heightening the sound to give you a sense of foreboding and stuff and then you know maybe a heavy-handed metaphor here and there but when that film takes off, it just once they, they get that, that rhythm going and once they figure out what they really want to do, it really wallops you. And sometimes, like, quite literally, uh, which I think, you know, people who want to see this and are expecting a certain, you know, quality to a revenge film, they will be satisfied. But I think people that don't normally watch this kind of film uh, will also be satisfied because there are some moments that are incredibly twit, like they're twisted, but in a poetic way, you know, they're twisted poetically. Like it's, I don't want to say anymore because you have to see the film. That's, that's the whole point of experiencing a film like Violation. Yeah. That one sounds very intriguing. We'll look forward to yeah. that one. 
yeah, that one. Um, and if I if I could just <laughs> carry on with sure. just some other women at the festival, um, Tracy Deer, uh, she is presenting her debut fic fiction feature called Beans. Um, she's known as a documentary uh, maker, so this is her first foray into fiction. Well, at least on the, the feature film side. Um, and it's, talk about timely. This is like a coming of age story, even though it's set in 1990 during the Oka crisis. Uh, if people don't know or don't remember, it's, it was the 78 day armed standoff that happened in, you know, in Quebec between the, the Quebec government uh, and the Mohawk nation. Um, the, the Mohawk people were protesting peacefully because a golf course was going to expand into their burial ground, their you know, sacred ground, um, and then it turned violent, you know, because the government called in the, the army, and you know, things just got out of hand. and And the background of this coming of age story is also the the incredible racism that the white people just like. You know, um, it all revolves around a bridge, right? And it all revolves around the blockade of a bridge. So because of that inconvenience, the white people became very angry and very scary. And, and in terms of scary, there's a couple of scenes in this film because, you know, there's this 12-year-old Mohawk girl. It's her coming-of-age story, but there's also her little sister. And there's this, especially one scene, um, where they're driving past a group of white protesters that get they're throwing rocks and that scene alone uh you know scared the hell out of me but also it really brought home uh, the real meaning of that crisis you know that it always never mind you know never mind the bridge like what what were people actually doing to each other you know like to other human beings um it's it, it is an incredible tale and and her her own story against this background is it's hard enough when you're 12 to try and you know find who you are and what your dreams are and what you want and and feel you know feel confident in yourself right and and then against the background of this hatred, and then you see this, this sort of foray into a, a place where she's sort of going into a dark place. And um, it, the, the effects of this racism on this impressionable young, uh, on this impressionable young woman and how that's forcing her into dark places is bad enough when you're 12 you go into dark places but it, it's like the hardening that you see of this this sweet lively soul you know um so but you know the film is full of surprises so i'll just i'll stop there no that's that's great i know that you also saw because i have some female directors as well but before dipping into the nonfiction, you also saw One Night in Miami, which I guess is Regina King's latest. That was another Regina uh, King. What a day! film. Yeah. What, what did you think of that one? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. You know, when you when you love a person in their ro role of something else, like I love her as an actress, 
And then you hear about her, her debut film and it's, you know, talk about like a big subject. It's, um, and talk about timely. It's about, uh, so one night in Miami is, um, is a night that actually happened, but it's a fictionalized account. Nobody knows what happened between these men and, and the men were Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, the musician, uh, Muhammad Ali, when he was still Cassius Clay, and uh, Jim Brown, the athlete turned actor. And so it's a night where they all gather uh, after Muhammad Ali's fight, his, his big victory. He became the, the heavyweight champion of the world. Um, and they all gather. And you don't really think about it until they get into like the room where they're celebrating uh, the very different points of view that you have amongst these men and sometimes very clashing points of view of, of life and life as a black man and, you know, life in America at that time and uh, changes that, you know, that people saw or changes that people saw needed to happen. So that there's a lot of dynamic going on. And uh, you, you would think that, that a film that is mostly a conversation, well, she, she does much more with it than that. You know, you'd think that that, that would be a little bit hard to watch. Not at all. She brings, Regina King brings that, that story to life. These performances, I mean, if these men don't get nominated for Oscars. I'm just boycotting them forever because it's, it's, it is, it's a film where you need these strong performances and the gentlemen all provide them, you know? Um, there's moments, it is based on a play, so there's moments that seem a little bit like, oh yeah, this is a play. But there, there are moments, like she quickly moves um, through cinematic means, you know, with the editing and the pacing. She quickly, she quickly keeps it moving, but sometimes it needs to pause because we have to pay attention to what is being said. Um, and some of the surprising things that happen um, in terms of their conversation um, but then you, you look back and you, you think, maybe that's not so surprising. They are coming from very, very different perspectives. And this transformation that happens with one of the characters. And, you know, by the end, I was deeply affected by the film. You know me, I cry. Nothing wrong with that. If, if the film is good and it uh, evokes emotion, that's always a, a good thing. Yeah, but not because necessarily it was like something horrible happens at the end it's actually because um there's something enlightened but that that the ending um really emphasizes how things haven't changed the, the conversations that these men were having back then are necessary now still and that's that's the saddest thing that that i got out of the film oh that's good yeah the ones that i saw that uh, it's, it's interesting because you were talking about things not changing and in many ways needing to change. I saw a documentary called Underplayed by filmmaker Stacy Lee. And it's a film that looks at the world of female DJs, uh, specifically in relation to electronic music, EDM music. And I guess back last year, 2019, Billboard and DJ Magazine had released a list of the 100 top DJs and out of the hundred people listed, I believe it was five, if that were were women. 
So this film looks at the way women have been marginalized in the electronic music scene, despite being the ones who actually innovated the music. Like they, it, it goes back into the history about how women were the, the ones that were using technology and computers to actually see if it's possible to create music through, um, through this type of tech and how they basically paved the way for the industry and how big it is now. And it looks at like, the concert scene and how um, male DJs get to be headliners at like Coachella and what have you. Whereas if you get one woman on the, the bill, then it's considered they have too many. So it's a very interesting look. And they follow, they follow about five or six um, specific women in the industry. Actually, no, maybe a little bit more. And you just get to see all their trials and tribulations, everything from sexism to um, being groped when performing to the the online hate that women have to endure, especially in the social media age. And it's very much a film that is not only promoting having more voices in the room and having more women in all aspects of the industry, both on stage, but also behind the scene in terms of production strings accompaniment but also just the the mindset of like how we need to allow voices to be heard because right now the industry is being dominated by men so you're you 50 percent of the ideas and innovation are are being ignored and it was a really well shot doc i, I mean i walked away not only learning of these women but like i went on to itunes right after and purchase a whole bunch of their music because the soundtrack is just phenomenal so uh you know you're, that's you're, an added bonus right it's an added bonus you'll you know hear these people's stories and then you also walk away with great music that you can dance to talk to whatever so that, that was a really um good documentary that i i would highly recommend and another female led doc uh, female directed documentary that i'll briefly talk about is the way i see it which was directed by Don Porter. And the film is basically a look at the life of Pete Souza, who was the White House official photographer for both the Reagan administration and the Obama administration. So a lot of the film is primarily about his time with Obama and um, just how, I guess, when he was with Reagan, he was learning the ropes, whereas by the time he was working for Obama, he was more professional, but Obama had a profound impact on him as a, as a person. And he really saw what Obama meant to America. And with the rise of the Trump administration, um, Sousa has become a very outspoken person politically. So usually when you're in those type of roles as like a photojournalist, white house photographer, you can't have any politics. You're just there to take the shots and kind of document history and now that he's out of the white house and he's seeing how the trump administration has basically bent or erased every single rule he has been he's used like instagram as a vocal platform and it's it's a very interesting look at at history the role of journalism and also the power of photography Mm -hmm. Um, i i will say that it is a feel-good documentary and especially if you have you know, fond or at least kind memories of the Obama administration. It it does play like a, a love letter to Obama as much as it is a insightful thing for Sousa. So you could take that as you will. I will say that the film does miss some opportunities to dive 
deeper into, um, I guess, how he observed the reaction to the Obama era. So he makes reference to Obama, you know, bringing hope and change, but also there was a, a, a rise in hate going on when after Obama's election. And the film doesn't really dive into that. It's kind of treated as like a one-off. And I felt like that was a really interesting thing to dive into, especially as we've seen how that's kind of exploded in, in this current administration. So, but for, for what it is, it's a, it's definitely a documentary worth checking out. And if you're in the mood for something that deals with politics, but in a way that you'll walk out still hopeful for, for society and mankind, that's definitely worth a look. Mm, interesting. Um, you know, that reminds me of, a doc- you know, it's just an incredible year for documentary. At this year's uh, TIFF, you know, um, and it reminds me of a film that I watched uh, called MLK slash FBI. And it's about uh, how um, the FBI in America gathered information. It, it, actually, they engaged in, in quite deep <laughs> surveillance uh, very elaborate surveillance of Martin Luther King. J. Edgar Hoover, the, the film shows you, just was obsessed with bringing the man down because uh, he, it, it repeats how he was absolutely livid that, he, that Martin Luther King was regarded as a moral authority in America. And, uh, you know, it seems to suggest that somehow but Hoover was jealous of this or, you know, she just couldn't, or maybe, maybe it was his racism that, you know, that it couldn't be, nobody would look at him that way or something like that. But anyway, so it, it really shows you how, how deep the resentment was and how, how crazy this obsession was with just trying to find anything and everything and going beyond they actually went beyond the limits of the law. Uh, and it seemed to suggest that the government, they're not really sure if the government wasn't quite um, aware of that fact. Well, that's interesting, though, because I, I do, I mean, we look back at Martin Luther King as a, as a hero, but during the time of the civil rights, the FBI and a lot of those organizations viewed him as a, as a terrorist, you know, and they use a lot of tactics to to try and bring him down. So I'm very interested to see how this film approaches those themes. Yes. And and what's interesting is the film, like, you know, I kept saying that it suggests this and it suggests that. Um, it does it in a very concrete and lively way using old footage and old photographs. And and in fact, the way that it does that, that the, you'd think that a film, you know, that uses only old footage and stuff was actually... Um, not not a very engaging film it could in the wrong hands be not a very engaging film but instead it's very it's like it's gripping it's like a a, like a thriller it's like what do you mean you know it's really putting this story together and it's but the scary thing is it's not a story and any limitations that the the film has in terms of actually um presenting facts or you know being certain about the facts is because the a lot of the information is sealed until 2027 
you know, that fact alone makes makes it seem like, well, is that actually is that actually going to reinforce what this documentary is saying? But I think because also they have these these people who were there talking, people from the FBI, historians, you know, um, people who worked with MLK, uh, you have them and they build up such a strong case that that this was in fact but it's interesting when you when the film at the end and and the way that um, the the dialogue can just continues for a little bit with these with these individuals and and sort of like their final word on it that's that's also really interesting but it's it's a very engaging film it's it's also what it brings up is very current as well like it's very timely nothing has changed either Mm-hmm. You know, that seems to be the theme of this festival. Nothing has changed. <laughs> and it's maddening, you know. Uh, but I think having it reinforced and reinforced over and over again in cinema, in, you know, in uh, various art forms is the only way there's any hope of getting it through people's heads because obviously like, the news isn't doing it, right? That whole um, running theme, as you pointed out, of things never changing that's very obvious in the documentary the new corporation mm-hmm. um, by director joel Jackin <clears throat> and jennifer abbott and this is the sequel to their 2003 documentary the corporation and in that film they looked at how a legal ruling deemed allowed a corporation to be treated as a person while also being able to exist as a as a corporate entity and just the corruption and disaster, both environmentally and socially, that that caused. And when that film came out, it caused quite a stir, and it did force a lot of um, companies to have a, a moment of reckoning. And now with this sequel, we've realized that that moment of reckoning is not quite happening. And they've made a you lot of... Talk about it, but it's not real. Yeah, yeah, they've made a lot of statements, you know, similar to how we're seeing in this current um, time of racial injustice. There's a lot of statements about making change, but there's no actual policies being instituted company-wide to actually ensure those changes are happening. And this film really does, it covers a lot of the same themes and same ground as the first one. So it talks about the environment, it talks about technology, it talks about um, social inequality and just how corporations are existing but in many ways things have gotten worse their their power is even more far-reaching they're more powerful than governments they we've allowed them to invade our privacy and monetize pretty much everything so it's just a i call it a, a, a bleak look at where we are but yet the film still manages to find hope in in the people and the activism that's been occurring both environmentally and socially and I guess the film is pretty much its main goal is to remind people that you do have a voice and you do have power. Like a lot of things that we didn't expect to change in the world and society happens because people stood up. So it's an interesting, one. I don't know if you've seen the original one, if there's anything too surprising or shocking, but I think for those who maybe haven't really been paying close attention to the news or a lot of the stuff that's going on, this is a, it will be an eye opener for them. I mean, in terms of the way it extends conversations, even on things that it started talking about in the 2003 film, I really think that it does, it does bring 
a, a different outlook mm-hmm. on on what's going on now. Like it's bringing it into the present and um, giving us a sense of urgency about it. And it's very useful. It's very useful in terms of the the conversation that it is trying to to start. Right. It, it in many ways found this the horror film for me right um because of the you know look nothing has changed instead it's sort of shifted into this and this and this and in and some of the things that weren't discussed in 2003 it's like oh well but so that's the way that corporations have now affected this sector and, and that you know their effect on social media and you know the strength and power of that but yeah at least as you say, there is something that we can that we can um, bite, sink our teeth into, right? That that says, yeah. okay, just don't give up, <laughs> but <laughs> be aware say, of this. Very important that one. In regards to you know having hope and not giving up, um, American Utopia or David Burns' American Utopia, the documentary yes. slash concert film by Spike Lee. I think that for me was the surprising source of hope for this festival because I I did not have um, any expectations going into the film just because I wasn't familiar too too much with his music or the Broadway show that this was based on. But I found that um, film to be just so uplifting and it's, it's a plea for America to change. It's a plea for just the everyday person to kind of connect with those that, you're either afraid of, or for some reason you don't want to care about. Like he's basically saying a lot of the problems that we're dealing with today, whether it be sexism, racism, what have you can be dealt with if people just took the time to learn about each other's differences. And I don't know, he does it in such a way that I never felt like he was preaching to the audience. No. Even when he's being blunt about it, it's, he still does it in a way that engaging and the the way how they use the music and the minimal staging i just i just walked away really happy and kind of recharged to to face the world again yeah yeah i think i think david byrne has this um at least he appears on stage to have this sort of stuff of facing manner which is what uh helps us to connect with him Right. It helps us because we can see that that at least the persona is saying, well, I'm not preaching. You know, I'm an individual like you are. I'm a human being. And and it's that part that that humanness of him that um, reminds us of humanity, like it allows us to connect with his humanity. And therefore, you know, in his songs and in what he says, uh, it brings us into this intimate space. It's interesting how the staging, you know, is this box-like thing. And so I felt, and with Spike Lee's direction, I felt like I was in a specific space with him and the performers. And that really helped. I, I think Spike Lee should direct everything, every kind of film there is, because he really, in terms of a concert film, he really had us right there, right close, right intimate. Um, it felt better than attending a concert because I felt closer to everyone who was performing, like actually physically closer. And so that these these moments where 
uh, burn, you know, is asking us to, to think about this or connect with that, it, that was automatic, you know, and, and knowing his music, like some of it, having it put in this context is sort of like, oh, I didn't even realize that it had those kind of implications or the depth of those implications that were there in the, in the song in the first place, but they, they were just performed in a concert. They weren't presented in this, you know, in this context. And, and so Spike Lee's direction is inventive and lively. And, you know, I don't, I think that it's like they formed a partnership in terms of the pacing, um, he and Byrne, you know, it's like they really, Spike Lee really, he brought his own stuff to it, but he also really understood the the performance and what was happening, you know. It's, it's, I was so thrilled. I've never enjoyed uh, an opening night film more, at least not in recent memory. Yeah, it's definitely that's one of how the, you that, start a festival. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the definitely one of the better selections for 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 an opening compared to yeah. what they've had in the past. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about um, pieces of a woman? Because I know that's been getting a lot of talk because of the performances i believe it's it's, for me it was really about the performance the performance of vanessa kirby as the woman who gives birth so you know it's about a couple um and how something goes wrong during labor and they take the midwife to uh to court um and so um the very the beginning is incredibly uh vivid and um like not in a gross way, but just <laughs> very vivid. And it's like, it puts you right there. Um, it's so it's a very bold, very energetic start, you know, and it's very impassioned. Um, it's, it's such a dynamic opening that I found. And so she was incredible. So yes, like she deserves all the Oscars for that. Just the but, rest of the film didn't live but up. But the rest that. of the film just it's really hard to live up to that. Okay. Once you then go into a story. I mean, the story about her heartbreak because of the beginning, the heartbreak of the couple, you know, her husband is played by Shia LaBeouf. So the film is very, very strong in its performances, but the the actual storytelling of the rest of the film just cannot live up to that. You know, so for the performances, I say yes. As a film, I just, I'm sort of like on the fence. That's fair. And did you see Concrete Cowboy? Oh, Concrete Cowboy. That's, that's, uh, that's also been getting mixed. Mixed reviews. I can see why. You know, I would give it a mixed review because um, in terms of the, like, the pacing and some of this, there's some stereotypes. So kid is acting out, the kid is getting into trouble and the mom as a single mom just doesn't know how to get through to the boy. Right. And so what she does is she takes him from like the most urban, like basically downtown Philadelphia. And I don't know where this is in Philadelphia, but it's a real place. And it, she takes him to his father's doorstep, drops him off there uh, in a heartbreaking scene. Um, and the father's the father is is an urban cowboy now these are real people you know a black community of cowboys who live and raise horses in a section of philadelphia 
And the amazing thing about the film is that they, it includes people from the actual community as actors, you know, um, so that you have, you know, this realism infused into the film by their performances. They're not real actors. They're just, you know, when they're on screen, they're talking about their passion. Um, and Idris Elba is the father. And so it, it can be a bit uneven in terms of uh, the father, this sort of typical father-son tension stereotypes, cliches, right? The cliches that happen um, in any father and son conflict, you know, butting heads kind of story. He's a teenager, right? So we know those kinds of stories. Um, but what, what I really liked about the film was the way that it presented um, this different point of view, uh, this different life, a pr different perspective on life, um, and how that being in that context changes the young man. Uh, so, you know, I, I was thinking about what Charles Officer said, you know, if you have a person and they're really not, you know, not shouldn't be in a sort of a tough crime ridden neighborhood, like because of their actual personality and their nature and how they actually can thrive if you put them. And that's what happens with Concrete Cowboy is you watch the way that he starts to engage in this different atmosphere in this different context, you know? Oh, okay. That sounds interesting. And do you want to mm -hmm. just end us off with um, some thoughts on Limbo? Oh, Limbo. Limbo. Limbo's this crazy, quirky little film, but it's not totally, like, it's not completely crazy. I shouldn't say that. It's just got this understated, you know, it's set in Scotland. So I don't know if this is a Scottish sense of humor kind of thing. But it's this, the story of how asylum seekers in a remote part of a Scottish island, like a remote Scottish island, so it's like up, up in the, the highlands, um, how they are fitting in and how people are trying to get them to, um, to fit in, to, to mingle, you know, and, and sort of the, the trials and tribulations of what they can and cannot understand and how how the white people get some of this like really wrong um not in a nasty way mo most of the time at the, especially at the beginning but in the, in this just what are you guys thinking you know like the it opens with a scene of um the, the group of men and they're in class and the things that these two teachers are trying to teach them you know is is misguided and funny it's like quirky funny and 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 so, uh, so a lot of the film plays off of you know clueless white people and uh, and these men not being able to to understand and you you were in the we're put in the position of the men it's like yeah what were you thinking you know that's just dumb or that's just a ridiculous representation of things you know and no wonder they don't get it um, and but really, it's the story of a young man, um, a Syrian man, who um, he keeps trying to connect with his family in Syria, um, and there's this this undercurrent of tension because the parents are much more worried about his brother who did not go over to Scotland with him. He stayed in Syria, and he's sort of fighting, right? So they there's this contrast between their reactions. The mother's worried about 
um, her son, you know, this son, Omar, and but she keeps talking about how worried she is about his brother and how he's a hero. So there's that tension, you know, going on there. And I think that's uh, really, that's the story, really, of, you know, trying to fit in, but also how the past and how your family from home, you know, where is home? But, and then coming to terms with your reality and, and there's, there's some interesting parts about the understanding that eventually happens between people, you know, when push comes to shove, people come together. Oh, that's interesting. It's a, uh, it's a completely it, different kind of film, you know, it's yeah. like, if you need a break, watch this film, you know, there is, is, you know, there's a really traumatic scene that happens in the film. So it's not all, you know, quirky British humor, but I really think that because of that, um, it's it's got a more deep resonance in terms of a message about humanity, which I, I think we need those right now. And um, yeah, I think I'm I'm craving them. You know. Yeah, that's so, and that's a perfect way to to end off our festival coverage too, with a little bit of hope and optimism. That's right. All right. So that's it. That's it for Framelines coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival for 2020. Thanks for listening.